reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The word of the Lord. In Houston, Texas, a, an insurance agent told the following story. It seems that there was out in the countryside a horse-drawn wagon that got hit by a car. And the uh, man in the wagon, the farmer, made a claim against the insurance company. And in the court, the attorney said to the farmer, Sir, is it not true that when the constable came up to you after the accident and asked you how you felt, you answered, Sir, I've never felt better in all my life. And the farmer said, yes, that's true. That's what I said. And he said, well, then how is it that you now make a claim of serious injury against this insurance company? And the farmer said, well, sir, uh, at the time of the accident, when the constable finally arrived, he went over to where my horse was laying down and he recognized my horse's legs were broken. So he took out his pistol and he shot the horse. And then he went over to my dog, which had been in the wagon, was thrown out of the wagon, was badly beat up, uh, all broken up, and he saw my dog whimpering there near death, and he shot my dog. And then, sir, he came over to me, and he said, well, how are you doing? And I was laying there in the ditch, and I considered that under the circumstances, the best thing to say might be, I've never felt better in all my life. <clears throat> so how are you feeling? Never felt. You didn't fall on the ice and break anything, did you? You're doing well, yeah. This morning I want to talk to you about the day Jesus got kicked out of church. Do you know that story? That's what I'd like to talk to you about. And if you will turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 4, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in front of you in the pew, and it looks like this, either this color or black, and you can turn to Luke chapter 4, which is on page 61. Now, this is the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, and I would like to walk through a couple of these verses with you to kind of help you know where we are. Jesus is just starting out his ministry. He's been baptized by John the Baptist. He is uh, done with the temptation in the wilderness. And in verse 14, Luke 4:14, it says, Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, 
returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. Now, I just read a poll, I think it's jumped up on the Internet today, said something about President Bush's popularity has never been lower. If you were a pollster, and based on this information, you were polling Jesus' popularity, what would you say his popularity looks like right now at this point as he begins his ministry? High or low? It's high. It's very high. Notice the words at the end of verse 15. He was praised by everyone. It's a good time. Jesus is popular. Now, let's continue in verse 16. When he came to Nazareth, by the way, where did Jesus grow up? Nazareth. Oh, I love Baptists. We all know our Bibles, right? Huh? Come on, you got to live with confidence, folks, right? Right, that's right. Um, When we came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. I love those words, as was his custom. Turn to your neighbor and say, great to see you in church. Would you do that? Is that your custom? I hope it is. I think it is. I see a lot of you every Sunday. It's not my custom. You know, I have to be here. (laughs) Joyce tells me to leave every Sunday morning. You get out. It's, you know, it's what you're supposed to do. That's why pastors are pastors. You realize that God realized there's no other way Steve would go to church unless he was a pastor. And so that's why I got called into ministry. I think that's kind of how it works. Um, I just kind of need that extra pressure. So here I am. But just let me point out, and and by the way, I'm going to talk about the synagogue. I know it says synagogue. We're just going to think church. The Jews went to church at the end of the week. They went to the synagogue on a Sabbath or a Saturday. We, as Christians who celebrate the resurrection, we begin the week in worship. But I want to point out, it says Jesus went to the synagogue, no telling how many times he had been in this synagogue, as was his custom. Jesus went to worship every week. I'm sure of it. So, you're in worship, that's a good thing. Um, Let's continue. Now, on this particular day, it was his turn to read the Scripture. I don't know how that worked, but it says that they gave him the Scripture, and like uh, was read a minute ago to you, he stood up, and it says, on this particular day, he read from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And you could turn back here in your Bible to Isaiah 61 and read what Jesus read on that day. It's no secret. And it begins by saying, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And then it states several things that this servant in Isaiah is going to do. And then it concludes by saying in verse 19. Now, those of you that are looking at Scripture, let's read this together. Verse 19. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, I want you to understand that as we sit here and worship today and we read that the year of the Lord's favor, it's like, okay... But when Jesus read that, that day in church, everybody knew what what he was talking about, what Isaiah was talking about. Because the year of the Lord's favor wasn't just a day, you know, God's good to me. It's actually a reference back to Leviticus 25. You all know what's in there, right? Sure. It's about the year of Jubilee. You know what that's about, right? Sure. Just act like you do, okay? It makes me feel better. It makes your Sunday school teacher feel better, too. Well, as you look through this scripture, verse 18 and 19, 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I'm going to preach good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, the oppressed go free. The year of the Lord's favor. It's all wrapped up in that phrase. In Leviticus 25, it talks about the year of Jubilee, which actually happened every 50 years. How many of you are in debt? Go ahead. I'm, I'm not preaching about money today, so that's later. Raise your hand. I want to look at you. You've, you owe on a house, car, visa, something. Put your hand way up there, Jesse. Come on. Don't be ashamed. We're all, I'm, my hand's up. Yeah, most of us in this room have some sort of debt. Can you imagine if it was the year of Jubilee and that debt is gone? Nice, huh? That's the way it worked. The debt was forgiven. If you were, um, back then, you know, it was an agrarian society, everybody owned property. If you had lost your property, you had to sell it for some reason or it went away, you got it back. You got your old homestead back. Good deal, huh? If you got locked up in prison, you got to go free. It's the year of Jubilee. It's the year of the Lord's favor. Go home. It's a great year, in other words. And so Jesus, as he begins, uh, as he reads this scripture, he reads that passage from Isaiah. Now, afterwards, what does he do? Well, it says he rolled up the scroll, he handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. Now, when I sit down today, what's that mean? I'm done. Right. But when Jesus sat down, he just was beginning. You remember, it, it hasn't happened yet in, in his life, but you remember Jesus' most famous sermon. He went up on the mountain. His disciples went up on the mountain with him. The multitudes came to him. And what did he do? He sat down and began to teach. I think uh, maybe we should try that sometime. I kind of like to sit down and do a sermon myself. But uh, that means he's beginning to teach. So Jesus sat down And he said to them, what does he say? Well, in verse 21, he said, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, Is not this Joseph's son? Is not this Joseph's son? Now, I hope you have... uh, this outline with you today because I'm going to refer to it uh, several times. And I want to stop here and just kind of catch up where we are. There are two important points I want to emphasize. So far, how's Jesus' popularity? It's high. It's very high. And you can picture Jesus' words as he talks to this crowd. They all knew him. They had seen him grow up. They knew Mary and Joseph. They knew how he was a carpenter, how Jesus had been trained by Joseph. He was familiar. They're not a stranger to Jesus. And as he sits down, it's just like, and you've seen this, uh, somebody grows up in the church and they decide, oh, I think I'm going to be a teacher or a preacher, and they preach their first sermon here. And everybody says, it doesn't matter whether it's a good sermon or not. You just say, that's great. Isn't it good? And that's what they say as they hear Jesus They're amazed, how did this carpenter learn to teach so well? Isn't this Joe's boy? Where did he learn this stuff? And so it's quite wonderful as they hear Jesus teach. And, of course, his reputation is spread because he's been teaching all around the area in the synagogue. And so the first thing I want to say is Jesus comes in the power of the Spirit. Remember earlier uh, in the verse... Uh, It says, then Jesus, verse 14, then Jesus was filled with the power of the Spirit and returned to Galilee. And then as he opens the Scripture in church that morning, he reads from Isaiah and it says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And as he sits down, what does he say? 
today, this scripture is fulfilled. In other words, it's really true. God's Spirit is on me. And so Jesus announces that. Now, the second thing is, Jesus brings a new day. A new day. This is like the kickoff at the football game. Or like the first pitch that's thrown at the ball game. Jesus is bringing a new day. Let's uh, look again at that verse 19 where it talks about the Lord's favor. Go back with me a couple chapters to Luke chapter 2, verse 14. You remember the birth story of Jesus. And when the angels filled the sky and sang to the shepherds, they announced what? They said, glory to God in the highest. Do you remember that phrase? And they said that God's favor has come. Peace to those on whom God's favor rests. Remember that word favor came up? And now it comes up again here in the prophet Isaiah when it says, this is the year of the Lord's favor. One other scripture. When Paul is writing, you know, after Jesus has gone back to heaven and Paul's writing about what God has done on earth, here's what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. God speaking. In the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. Now, the scripture saying, Paul saying, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the time of salvation. And so, as we look back in this, um, it's hard to act like we're in Nazareth that day or we're the Jewish people, but, but try if you can, because Jesus sits down and he says, now, the scripture said, today is the, the day of God's favor, and Jesus says, this is fulfilled. Later, Paul, writing about that, says, now is the time of of God's favor. And the point is, it began with Jesus. Has God's favor stopped yet? Is it over? Is that day done? It's not. Of course it's not. We live in the time of God's favor. So it is a new day. And Jesus launched this new day. Now, how's Jesus doing in church that day? He's doing well. Everybody's happy, right? Are you still with me? So Jesus is uh, doing well. Now, so far, so good. People uh, generally have two responses to Jesus. Let's continue. In verse 21, 22, it's, they say, Is not this Joseph's son? And then Jesus begins in verse 23 to talk about how it's hard for a prophet to be honored in his own country. And he tells them a couple stories. Now, I assume the sermon's a lot longer than what we have, and I'd like to read the rest of it. But basically, Jesus says a number of things on this day. He said, to, this is, of course, my very loose paraphrase. By the way, do you realize God's not Jewish? How do you think that went over? Kind of like me saying, you realize God's not a Baptist? Worse yet, you realize God's not even a Christian? How's that sit with you? Oh. Is God Christian? Careful. Is God Baptist? Well, I think so, actually, but uh, that's my own personal problem. Is God Jewish? And as Jesus began to talk to them, he told them a couple stories from Elijah's day. One was about a Phoenician woman, not Jewish, who God helped. Another was about a Syrian general that had leprosy, whom God helped. God cured this leper in Syria, from Syria. But Jesus went on to say, interesting, isn't it? God didn't cure any lepers in Israel. And as he talked to them about this, 
And as he said, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, they begin to struggle in their mind. What is Joe's boy actually saying? Did you hear him? Does he think he's that servant that Isaiah talked about? I mean, you see, does he think, he, surely he doesn't, he's not saying he's the Messiah, is he? What is he doing? Now, the point is that if I preached like Jesus today, you'd be so angry with me, you'd run me out and say, don't ever let him come back. Huh. Because look what's happened in verse 28. Jesus is preaching along or teaching, and it says, when they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with what? Rage. They were furious. And it says, verse 29, they got up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow on the hill which, on which their town was built, so that they might throw him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. Wow. See, Jesus did get kicked out of church because he said things the church people didn't like. Now, of course, we would never have that happen in our day, right? Right. And this morning, I want to I talk to you a little bit more about this, but I'd like for you, you've seen that Nissan commercial that says shift? I'd like you to shift. If you're sitting straight up, well, slouch down or cross your legs or uncross your Change your body position a little bit, okay? We're going to go in another direction. Could you just shift? Uh, okay. Are you shifted? Now, <clears throat> we have a theme this year, right? Right. Um, what is our theme? Become a bridge of love. Oh, you've blessed me already. You are so great. Thank you. We're going to become a bridge of love. That's our theme. Now, as we become a bridge of love, I'm suggesting that I want you to think of four words to help you be the best possible bridge of love. I know you're great lovers, but perhaps you could learn a little bit. So the L is going to stand for what? What? Oh, thank you. I'm taking my wife to dinner because she's helped me out here. The, the L stands for what? Learn. learn. Yes, learn. So just fill in that blank. The L in love is going to stand for learn. Well, what are we supposed to be learning. Well, we're to learn about Jesus. We want to be learning about Jesus. You know what? I think I skipped over some, some stuff. I did. I'm going to shift again. I'm grinding the gears here. We're going to back up, Ryan. I don't want to miss this. Um, where are we? Two responses people have about Jesus. The first one is this. I was a little confused myself. But we got the learn part down, right? Okay. Uh, first of all, people often love Jesus. And we looked at those verses. They all spoke well of him. They said, is not this Joseph's son? And the, the point is that uh, if you've come into church this morning, and let's say you've had a horrible week, your cows fell down, you lost several thousand dollars, or maybe you fell down and you're all beat up, or maybe you've... You, you realize, Steve, I've just made some bad choices this week. I've done some things I shouldn't have done, wished I hadn't done. and Or maybe uh, the world's kind of fallen in on you. You're just discouraged or you're sick. Or maybe you've come to church with some kind of struggle. Well, who is Jesus for you? Well, I'm thinking of verses like this. Jesus said, come to me, all you who have burdens, and I will give you rest. If you're a struggler... 
if you've just blown it this week, Jesus says, come to me because I can give you forgiveness. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for uh, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want you to come to me. So this morning, as you think about Jesus, one way to think about him is Jesus wants to comfort you. And if he, it's like this. He wants to throw his arms around you and hug you and say, I love you and, and I'll help you along the road of life. And perhaps all of us have come to Jesus like that. Jesus has been a comfort to us. He's forgiven our sins. He's helped us see this is a new day. It is the year of God's favor. And so in that sense, Jesus is a great help to us. He comforts us. And that is a part of the ministry of Jesus. Uh, in fact, I've got a quote in here. <clears throat> uh, we'll get to that later. The second response is that when people come to Jesus, and this happens in our story, um, some people love Jesus, some people loathe Jesus. As they listened to Joseph's boy on this Sunday, it ended up they didn't love Jesus. And I showed you the scripture. Because they realized he was claiming to be Messiah. They realized he was saying some things they weren't comfortable with, like God loves everybody, not just Jews. And so they tried to kill him. So people generally have two responses to Jesus. They love Jesus or they loathe him. Now, let's get back to uh, the Become a Bridge of Love theme. We're going to shift again. Many, many gears on this car, huh? Okay, Uh, the Become a Bridge of Love, the L stands for what? Learn. We want to learn about Jesus. Now, in your notes, it says, not WWJD. Uh, You know, that's, that's so old school. Let's move on. I never did like WWJD. I don't know about you. It kind of always bothered me. And I don't want to offend you. If you're wearing a bracelet and it helps you think about Jesus, that's okay. But let me give you a couple answers um, or a couple of helps. This past week, Laurie and I went up to see Sarah. And Sarah's a member of our church who is a paraplegic. She can't walk. Not only that, she has some other health concerns. She's been up at a convalescent center for about, I don't know, 15 months or so now. And uh, her condition is such, she can't even get out of bed right now. She can't even sit up in bed. Now, she feels okay, but she's struggling. And so we went to visit her. And I said to Lori, okay, Lori, you're a student over here at this great seminary, Fuller, right? And she said, yeah. I said, you know, Greek, Hebrew, yeah. Uh, You're taking all these great courses, history of Christianity, yeah. So I guess if anybody can WWJD, it would be Lori, right? So I said, do what Jesus would do. What would Jesus do if he visited Sarah? I know exactly what he'd do, don't you? Huh? You're not too sure about it. Well, read the next chapter in the book of Luke, chapter 5, where he meets a person that can't walk. What does he do? Huh? It's not hard, folks. He heals her. That's what Jesus would do. You understand? Many times this week, every other day, I've gone down to USC. There's a young man in his 30s dying of alcoholism down there. The doctor said, I don't think he's going to make it. Now, I pray for him. I pray with his family. They're strong in their faith. He said, the man said to me, you know, I haven't read the Bible in a long time, but I've been reading the Bible. And, uh, you know, we're, we're going to be with them through this experience. But what would Jesus do if he showed up at USC? He'd empty the place. He'd put his hand on this young man's forehead, fevered forehead, and he'd pray over him and he'd call the doctor and say, get this trach out of his mouth. Get these tubes off his body. Get him up. Let him go. 
That's what Jesus would do. Am I wrong? So don't WWJD. Let me show you what Dallas Willard says. I like this. He's a USC professor. And uh, here's what he says. I'm learning from Jesus how to lead my life as he would lead it if he were I. Would you read that with me? It's, on, it's not going to be on the screen. It's just going to be in front of you. I am learning from Jesus how to lead my life as he would leave it if he were I. So, we're going to be learners as we become a bridge of love. Now, the O stands for what? Obey. obey. Very good. Obey. Um, we not only need to learn, when we learn it, we need to obey. My brother used to tell me when I was in school for a long time, he'd say, Steve, I'd say, yes. He said, you know, you're educated beyond your intelligence. Now, brothers talk that way to each other. And I'd say, I love you too. Now, I don't know, I may be educated beyond my intelligence, but I do know this, that I'm educated beyond my obedience. How about you? I'm educated beyond my obedience. The hard part's not learning. The hard part's the doing. Once you learn it, to do it. That's where I find the difficulty. And so as we become a bridge of love, we want to learn and we want to obey what we learn. We're not just in school to learn. We're in school to change our lives, to change our character, to change our behavior. And so we need to obey. Now the V. What in the world is the V going to stand for? Well, it stands for this, Weritas. Would you say that with me? Weritas. What does that mean? Truth. Now, you don't need to. I'm going to give you a tip. You can save your money. You can just type in Merriam-Webster Dictionary on the Internet and look these Latin words up, and it's just like you knew Latin. Works great. If you don't know how to pronounce it, you can just hit that button as well. What are teachers going to do for a job anymore? Anyhow, weritas, it means truth. And so as we become a bridge of love, I want to challenge us also to, to seek the truth. We're supposed to learn about Jesus. We want to obey Jesus. Well, what is the truth about Jesus? That's what I want to encourage us. And I must confess, I've had the, the dickens of a time trying to figure out how to conclude this message because it takes take me an hour to try and get out what, I'm, what I want to say here. But, but let me work at it. I know you'll be kind to me on this matter. Um, what is the truth? N.T. Wright is a scholar, and it uh, doesn't matter whether you know about him or not, but he's written a book called Simply Christian, which he's defending the Christian faith. And in that book, he says this. Now, stay with me, because this is a whole paragraph I'm going to read. Over the last generation in Western culture... Truth has been like the rope in a tug-of-war contest. On the one hand, some want to reduce all truth to facts, things which can be proved in the way you can prove oil is lighter than water, or even that two and two make four. On the other hand, some believe that all truth is relative, and that all claims to truth are merely coded claims to power. Ordinary mortals, now he's talking about folks like me, I, I, maybe you, Ordinary mortals, dimly aware of this tug of war and its uh, impact, may well feel some uncertainty about what truth is while still knowing that truth matters. And I suspect there are some of us, maybe many of us today, that are sitting here struggling, well, really, what is truth? I know there's truth, but it's, it's a little harder to pin down than we might first think. 
what I'm trying to do as I wrap up today, as we think of veritas, truth, is that I personally am tired of evangelical Christians and the church which act like we've got all the truth, we're never wrong, and we're so haughty and arrogant in our lives that everybody outside of us is kind of sickened by it. Do you ever notice that? And so what, the reason I want Weritas to be in there as we try to become a bridge of love, that we learn and obey, but that we have a humble sense about us. You don't have all the truth. I don't either. We know that, but we don't act like that. So how can we be? Let me give you a couple of examples uh, as I try to wrap up on this issue of truth. First of all, this has nothing to do with, about Jesus, but I think it illustrates um, a couple of things for us. Well, let me finish the outline for those of you who are nervous about that. Um, Jesus comforts. He, con- he confronts us. Did we get to confront? Did we get to comfort? No, okay. Those two. Jesus comforts us. And that's the invitation. This morning, if you're all beat up by life, if you're struggling, come to Jesus for comfort because he welcomes you and he loves you. And uh, we like to say sometimes, this is sort of a paraphrase of a statement, the Bible, God's word of truth, should comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Now, not only does Jesus comfort us, he confronts us. And that's what happened in that day in Nazareth. A former professor at Claremont School of Theology, James Sanders, puts it this way. If you read the Bible and believe it, and it makes you feel self-righteous, that is, like you're better than somebody else, you can be sure you've misread it. And that's a great statement. Now, this morning, as we talk about, well, veritas, how do we become a bridge of love? What is this truth? Let me give you a couple of examples just to illustrate what I'm thinking about. Uh, that we understand that we never fully understand the truth as we come to Jesus. Now, um, I don't know about you, but before I buy a car, I always read consumer reports. And I know what's good about that product. I know what's bad about it. I love consumer reports. Did you hear what happened with the baby seat thing? Many of you did. A few weeks ago, recently, consumer reports announced that baby seats were primarily unsafe And so my daughters-in-law, who strapped their little infants in those seats every day, thought, oh, do I need to take this seat back? But Consumer Reports said there aren't any good ones out there. And, of course, the manufacturers rose up and said, these are safe, and big hubbub. But many of us that really believe in Consumer Reports thought, wow, this is is terrible. These seats are just self-destructing in a 35-mile-an-hour crash. Now, it came out this week that, in fact, the tests that the lab had done for Consumer Reports that said these seats were unsafe at 35, actually that was a 70-mile-an-hour test or more, and that the seats actually were not unsafe. Do you know who discovered the error of Consumer Reports? This is going to break another prejudice, the government. Now, some of you are so biased you think the government can't do anything right, but you live in the best country in the world, and the government does lots of things right, and they're the ones that came to Consumer Report and said, by the way, those tests you thought were 35-mile-an-hour tests, they were 70-mile-an-hour tests. You said these seats are wrong, your data's wrong. Now, I just cite that to say that even such a grand organization as Consumer Reports makes mistakes. We need to live humbly. How many mistakes do we make? When Jesus was in his ministry, this day he got kicked out of church because he said some things that were uncomfortable to God's people. And they wouldn't shift. They wouldn't change. They wouldn't say, well, could this be right? And when Jesus encountered the Pharisees, he said what? You're hypocrites. 
You need to shift. God's doing something. It's the year of God's favor. Accept it. Or when he uncovered, when he encountered the rich, he challenged them about greed. When he encountered his own disciples, he said, you guys need to learn to forgive 70 times 7. Let the little children come to me. Welcome them. Jesus kept confronting people with their own prejudices and biases and thoughts about God, and he changed them. And this morning, as I conclude, are you willing to come to Jesus in a fresh way and say, Jesus, confront me. Change my attitudes about some things. Because, folks, we're here to be learners of Jesus. The, the robed choir, is that something Jesus is really care about? Whether we worship in here or in there or out on the street, does Jesus care about that? I mean, some, so many of the things that we get tied up in here in church, does Jesus really care about those things? And will you allow him to confront you about what's important and what's not important? So this morning, as we conclude, um, the last thing is to consider. Consider veritas. What is the truth? If you've been a Christian a long time like me, then the challenge today is, Steve, are you still growing at all? Do you think you've got all the truth Jesus can give? Or can Jesus yet change us? And that's a challenge, isn't it? When you're in your 20s, we've got a number of people here, teens, 20s, 30s. You know, we tend to think, uh, I'm invincible. I can do anything. I'm going to live forever. I mean, we feel so strong. What's the truth? Well, the truth is none of us know how long our life is. At the other end, some of you are sitting here 60, 70 years old, and you won't confront the truth of how old you are and adjust or adapt. Would you allow Jesus to speak to you and help you confront that truth? I talked to Ruth Phelps just this uh, past week, and I've heard her say to me, and I've heard Ed say to me when he was still living, how difficult it was to confront the reality that they needed to sell their home that they loved and had lived in, raised their family in, and to move down to Atherton to a smaller place. That's just a challenge. But I've also heard not only Ed say how difficult that was, but how glad he was that he had done it, that he finally confronted where he was at in life because he needed to change some things. I'm proud of my parents who are confronting the same reality. They don't like being 79 years old, but what are you going to do? And so they're confronting the truth of where they're at in life and allowing God to help them as they downsize and hopefully move to Atherton as well this year. Now, it's not whether or not you move to Atherton, but you understand what I'm saying? Are we willing to confront truth in our life? And the church is the worst at confronting truth. And so this morning, I put that in there, veritas, veritas, because you and I, as we seek to become a bridge of love, need to learn about Jesus, we need to obey Jesus, We need to remember Jesus is the truth. I'm not the truth. You're not the truth. Jesus is the truth. And as we come to him, let us shape us into that person he wants us to be. So consider Veritas. Do you believe in it? How do you know the truth? As you think about truth, what role does Jesus play? Have you accepted the invitation of Jesus and come to him as the one who is the way, the truth, and the life? Do you allow the truth of Jesus to comfort you as well as to confront you and change you? I pray you do.